0: Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Susan McDermott. Susan's a dressage specialist and dressage judge, and I'm sure she's got a great quote for us today. How are you, Susan?
1: I'm well, and yourself?
0: <laughs> I'm well too. Susan, we're going to start off with a quote. Have you got one for us today?
1: Ha oh, no pain, no gain. And probably another one I very much believe in is there, but for the grace of God go I.
0: Okay. And and those both those quotes, where did you get them from? Were they influential to you?
1: I think very much in my upbringing, there but for the grace of God go I, that um, you should always be respectful of other people and generally appreciate what comes your way in life and work hard to achieve things. I I guess it's about respect and, and earning, earning your way through life, being respectful.
0: Okay, okay. All right, now thinking about your upbringing, I want you to tell me about your first memory with horses and how you started with horses.
1: My father was... Posted to Canberra from Tasmania, and I wanted to ride. And all the family could afford at that stage was for me to have one less than a fortnight. So I would go to this English lady who lived opposite Government House, and I'd have my one ride, but I could have more if I rode every, you know, all the horses that were labelled difficult horses. And I wasn't a very experienced rider, so a lot of falls. Followed, which I'm sure the expression "what doesn't kill you makes you stronger" happened. So uh, that's how I started, and yeah, that was the, the start of it all.
0: Okay, so you got to ride all the difficult ponies, but but then that's going to uh, yeah make For you stronger ride. Yeah, yeah, but then you're going to become a better rider through that. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that we don't. We don't recommend that you learn to ride on difficult ponies, but I suppose if you're passionate enough, you just make sure that you get whatever opportunities come before you.
1: Well, it was about if I wanted to ride more than once a fortnight, Mm. then that was the deal. I got to ride those horses for free, but, they weren't easy horses, so and I didn't have a very good skill level, so of course I fell off a lot. Mm. And certainly, when my own daughter started riding, you know, there was no difficult horses presented in the early stage. It was all schoolmasters. So I guess I did learn from that, but it's not probably. A good way to go, but certainly it gave me access to riding horses.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, now going on then because you're you know professional coach now, but how did you start? Did you start straight from, from school into the horse industry or what was your uh, pathway there?
1: A competitor all my life and then I had a daughter late in life and we were on a small farm that wasn't viable as a commercial farm that was close enough to run a horse-based business. So I went off and enrolled to do my Level 1 coaches course. I had been coaching informally over the years and then became aware of a a formal coaching accreditation process. And uh, that would have been about 22 years ago I started that Mm -hmm. and went through Level 1 and then latterly did my Level 2.
0: Okay, okay. Now, for people who are thinking about the horse industry, what core skills or character traits do you think that they need to have if they're thinking about starting a career with horses?
1: The traits you need are traits that tend to come with old age, (laughs) and that's uh, patience and trying to help people in a way that isn't going to cause offence and trying to educate people and, above all, trying to make people aware that the horse has to be trained ethically, maintained, fed. All the issues relating to the horse have to be ethical and on a sound basis. And often it's hard when you're young to know how to deal with all those things. And then when you teach, you've also have people's personal problems that come into their ability to ride and train and how they might feel. So a lot of the traits you need are things that you do develop later in life rather than as a young person. Or if you do, you're very lucky, I think, to have those traits as a young person.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that the more you're in the industry, the more you develop those traits. But I think if they've got semblance and have some sort of idea that they need to develop those traits to be in the industry, I think that's a positive step forward for people. What about people who've influenced you on your journey with horses?
1: A lot of English people. <laughs> my, you know, the lady I spoke about first at the riding school, she was English, and my friend and mentor was Irish English, who, who relocated to Tasmania. A friend who coaches in Victoria, Sue Chandler, she's English. So, uh, I, I so English influences, I guess, but certainly because they have been people of very sound. Horse knowledge and good coaches, and I think you can't go far wrong when you emulate people who not only love horses but are very good at the job that they're actually doing with horses.
0: Yes, yes, I think there's a lot to learn there. What about horses who've influenced you along the way?
1: A lot of horses off the track, because in in my era coming through, it was more horses off the track that we dealt with, and they really require... Not specialist knowledge, but those first 12 months you have to have, know what you're doing for, to make it all work. I guess I think of a horse by the name of Press Statement, who was a very successful racehorse. He won at Flemington. And I got him when he finished racing. And uh, like all horses off the track, he started off being quiet for the first month or two. And then certainly he was a huge challenge in terms of everything and I must say that if it hadn't been for Sue Chandler's help in those early days I don't think uh, we would have got there but certainly um, he went on to be an FEI horse and he was a very good horse he was a good jumper but he taught me so much about the training scale and, and not taking shortcuts and sticking to the training scale and, and working with coaches of a like mind and, and uh, no quick fixes and, and really methodical. Um, he really did teach me that. When it, with the time he stopped, finished, tried to kill me when we got to the <laughs> stage where we could go out and compete <laughs> um, and it all started to come together. He was probably the best horse I ever had.
0: Okay. And then was it like your proudest moment when you took him to FEI or what was your proudest moment?
1: No, the proudest moment was when I handed him over to one of my 14-year-old pupils mm-hmm. and I saw him going across the showground doing one-time changes. <laughs> he was doing a pony club hack class. And I think back to how many times when I think we were first starting changes and I ended up over his neck and on the ground or, you know, or even trying to lead him from point A to point B. I was really proud to see this young person sitting on a horse that, and having so much fun. and I trained that, so I felt the sense of satisfaction and pride that, that the horse and I managed to survive uh, the experience.
0: Yes. yeah, no, And nice that you created those experiences for that 14-year-old student as well. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think that's where it is, where a young rider...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about your biggest challenge? You know, because there's always challenges. There's always ups and downs. And, you know, as we sort of move along the journey with horses, um, what's been your biggest one, do you think?
1: I don't think horses themselves are difficult if we stick to respectful and ethical training and the training scale. I find people can be a little bit challenging when they present, come to you with a horse where those sorts of things haven't happened. And I would spend a lot of time trying to fix issues relating to the misuse and abuse of draw reins, and that's a shame it's a real shame and I don't know why people feel that they have to do those sorts of things to horses to secure a successful outcome.
0: Yeah yeah well I was going to move on to talk about common faults and common I suppose misdirections that people have. Is that the common one that you want to talk about and how to fix it or you know what would you like to talk about there?
1: Yes because you know, draw reins exist in our training manuals as a tool for a particular purpose for a short window of time. But, you know, I do, have, a, you do have, I have some show jump riders and they come and the first thing I have to do is to try to fix the issues that the draw reins have caused. You can see, you know, when you're a dressage judge and you're watching horses coming in and working and you can see by the outlines and the contact, it tells a story. And they may not be able to wear them in the competition, but certainly the story is out there looking at you as they go around as to what's been going on in the training. And I I don't know why it's become uh, part of our culture for a lot of riders and trainers to feel that they have to rely on these sorts of gadgets to achieve training successes because I don't think they do.
0: Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Is that like lack of knowledge that people think that oh, I've just got to get my horse's head down and then he'll go round and he'll win ribbons? Or what do you think the problem is there?
1: I don't know whether it's sometimes coaches being frustrated with a failure to produce an outcome with a rider and a rider wanting an outcome, so therefore it becomes a, an option that the rider will be happy with. And I think if riders were aware, hopefully, of the damage that use and overuse and abuse of these sorts of gadgets can do to the horse the discomfort, the pain, they probably wouldn't use them, but but in their defence, they're probably not told that, but I don't believe a coach has an excuse for not knowing that Mm. they're not really a viable, continuous training tool.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, Susan, just going on to um, complementary tools that people can use to train to learn a bit more, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners?
1: Uh, Look, there's two books I refer to. Um, One is the Maclean's book on reputation science because it's logical, it's easy to use and easy to follow, and it's the horse respectful. The other is the German Principles of Training because it has in there every exercise, every problem. So they're my two go-to books when I have an issue that I need to work through.
0: Yeah, I think they're fairly sound books. A lot of people, you know, I do ask a lot of people about the books that they use. And um, certainly the German Principles of Training would have to be about the most popular. But The Equitation Science is a popular one as well.
1: Uh, for me, with the equitation science, I guess I've been involved on and off over the years with Warwick and Andrew and John and McLean and coming over to do horses and break in. And and just time and time again, the easiest way is just this system that they have, a lot of it based on Tom Roberts, that is so easy for the horse to understand and easy for the handler or rider to work with and has a really positive outcome with no confusion no severity and it just works
0: I think that's it isn't it, it's the empathy that you've got to have with the horse, having a look at it from the horse's point of view and doing basing your training on how they learn rather than how you think that they should be trained
1: I think so, I think we, we often get tied up in our own emotions, you know that our horses like to live in single paddocks on their own because we like to see them in a private paddock but Really, they love to have a friend that they can scratch and play with. So one is the horse's perspective and one is the person's perspective and often they don't marry up.
0: Mm, mm. Susan, what are you looking forward to in the future?
1: Oh, I suppose waking up tomorrow and still breathing, I've something to look <laughs> forward to. But in terms of horses, I'm continuing forward with my dressage judging, which I can tell you at my age, studying for exams and putting yourself under pressure is not easy. <laughs> However, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So going forward with, with continuing a dressage with my judging and education, Working with riders and getting them successful outcomes for their goals, uh, whatever that that might be, that's what I look forward to.
0: Okay. And to do with judging, do you see any change, you know, because you've been judging quite a while, do you see any changes over the period that you've been judging? Or is it just as you progress through the grades and learn more? Yes,
1: I think the judge education system really is very sound and... If you get through the system, then you're learning and you're knowledgeable. It's rigorous, but it is for a reason. The rider coming down the centre line deserves to know that that person at sea has had a rigorous education and does know what they're doing. And I think our judge education system certainly secures that. Coach education, probably slightly different view on that, but I guess that's another story. But certainly as a judge, I feel very well nurtured and looked after and educated under the current system.
0: Yep, yep. All right, Susan, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners, please?
1: If you have goals and ambitions to do with horses, the first thing is, I think, is is to learn how to sit on the horse properly and ride properly. Have the appropriate horse according to your ability, and have realistic and achievable goals and work with a competent person and stick to the training scale. Okay. And shortcuts won't get you there. And that's about it, I think.
0: Yep, I like the shortcuts won't get you there. It sort of goes back to, you know, what you we were talking about with the running reins.
1: Well, at the end of the day, There are no shortcuts with horses. They're an animal that has a brain the size of a mandarin and if you need to use pain to train them, I don't know what that says about you as a person but it certainly isn't going to help the horse and you certainly won't achieve long-term successful outcomes. You know, the training scale sets up A very simple way of going about things. If you have problems, you can back it up with the equitation science or that type of thing, which parallels much of the training scale. Um, It doesn't have to be that hard, and and people often make training horses far harder than it actually is um, by trying to take shortcuts and get there quickly, but when in actual fact, they don't. They end up having to start on a horse number 10, 15, 20, or whatever it is.
0: Yeah yeah all right susan how can people contact you
1: oh well probably just by by phone or email
0: okay all right and those details well you can say them now susan or else they'll be available on com slash susan mcdermott right okay All right. Thanks very much for talking to us today, Susan. I've um, enjoyed the discussions that we've had about sort of draw reins and shortcuts and, um, you know, looking for long-term successful outcomes. And I think if we can all aim for that, then that's the main reason that we're here for. Thank you. Yeah. All right. And hopefully we'll catch up with you again sometime soon, Susan, and um, I'll talk to you then. Bye.
1: Thank you, Leva. If you've
0: enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.